You're listening to Music Tectonics. Hey, welcome back to the Music Tectonics podcast. I'm your host, Dimitri Vitsa. I'm also the CEO and founder of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We are a music and technology PR firm. And I'm super excited because I've been a, a big fan of Sweetwater and a customer of Sweetwater. And as you can See, if you're watching the video or if you're listening, we've got Chuck Surak, the founder and CEO of Sweetwater with us. How you doing, Chuck? I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you in the audience today. Yeah, thanks for being here. So Sweetwater, for anybody who doesn't know, is a leading, possibly the leading catalog and online retailer for musical instruments in the U.S. I know I saw CNN reported last year that your company did about $725 million in sales. And I think a lot of art, uh, musicians and, and folks that order instruments and other gear from you guys might not realize just how big you are. Um, and I've had the good fortune of coming up to Fort Wayne, Indiana, where you guys are based, where you've been from the beginning. You now have, what is it, like a 500,000 square foot warehouse there? <laughs> yeah, we have about 400,000 square foot store and a whole mall area, and then 500,000 of a new distribution center that we just opened up about six weeks ago. And, and those numbers you reported are just incredibly humbling, you know, starting out in a VW bus. And frankly, that was 2018. 2019, we were over $800 million. And I'm just, I pinch myself every day. That's awesome. You know what? Let's tell this. Let's get right in here. Tell us the story of how you get started in this music space. Sure. Well, I had, uh, after high school, I went on the road as a musician. I played saxophone and keyboards. And back then, you could go and play nightclubs six nights a week. And so I played all over the country, just about every state in the continental U.S. Uh, but after living out of suitcases and not making a lot of money, but yet having fun, I decided to come home and had to do something different. And so really all I had was this beat up VW bus. And it was, it was beat up. My mom and dad gave it to me when I was a junior in high school. My mom had wrecked it. And so I had to fill the front of it with two gallons of Bondo. I put a couple headlights on from tractor supply that looked like bug eyes. And I painted the bus, honest to goodness, with 99 cent cans of blue spray paint from Kmart. And that was <laughs> what I used for my junior and senior year of high school. It's what I used on the road for almost five years. And it's really one of the few things I had after being on the road, that and a little bit of recording equipment. And so I would come home and uh, I would pull the bus alongside the church, the school, the nightclub, anywhere where there was some sort of musical or speaking performance going on. I'd run 100 feet or 200 feet of microphone cables into the building, mic up the band, the choir, the speaker, the president of General Motors, whatever it was. And then I would sit in the bus with my headphones and my little four-track reel-to-reel tape recorder, and I would record the performances that was going on. Uh, I would take those recordings from my very, very uh, modest VW bus to my humble 12 by 55 mobile home. And uh, that's where I would pull the recording equipment into the living room of the mobile home. And I would add reverb and compression and edit the, the performance together. And, and that's really the first several years of Sweetwater was just being a mobile recording studio between the VW bus and the mobile home. Wow. And it, it, it's a fascinating story, really. I, I, I lived it and I still can't believe it. But after doing that for a couple of years, I finally bought my first house on the west side of Fort Wayne. That's where we're based out of, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And a small house, and I built a small two-car garage off the end of it. And that two-car garage really wasn't for cars, but it was for my first really professional recording studio. And uh, operated that for several years. And what really changed my business, in 1984, I got to go to the music trade show up in Chicago at that time called the NAM Show, National Association of Music Merchants. A friend of mine owned a music store. He invited me to go along. I was a big customer of his. And uh, I got to see a prototype of the Kurzweil K250. And that was the first synthesizer that played back digital recordings 
of other instruments. Up until then, we had electric pianos, we had synthesizers, we had organs, but we really didn't have sampling instruments. And it was a, a, a design by a, a fellow named Ray Kurzweil, and he was inspired by Stevie Wonder to, to do a machine that could play back all the sounds of the orchestra. And I looked at this prototype and I thought, how cool is this? I could use this in my own recording sessions. At the end of the session, I could offer my customers, would you like to hear your music with a string section? Would you like to hear it with a, a vocal section or an upright bass or a nine foot grand piano? And I thought if I could afford to buy one of those, it could be a way that I could add value to all of my retail or I'm sorry, all of my recording customers. So I bought one the next year when they came out and uh, it did exactly that. At the end of every session, I could get another hour or two of recording session time but my customers got a better product. They got a choir. They got a string section. And I started going all around the Midwest. So I would carry the keyboard in and I would help program it or play parts for it and that sort of thing. And self how to fix the mixing consoles and the tape recorders and wrote computer programs. And so I started reverse engineering how that Kurzweil worked and started designing my own sounds for it. And uh, before long, I'm, I'm trying to find other people that have Kurzweil's to trade sounds with them. It was a pretty laborious task to make these sounds. And so I started reaching out to other Kurzweil owners, but they tended to be famous musicians. They were Stevie Wonder and Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton and Bob James and Lyle Mays and all these old artists. But it was easy to call them up and say, you have a Kurzweil, I have one too. And it was almost like a brotherhood. And I was hoping to trade sounds with all those famous musicians. But what I quickly found out is they were players and not really techie guys. And of course, they wanted my sounds, though. And so I would give those folks my sounds. And it didn't take long. They were using them on their recordings, on their albums. They started giving me album credit, which was quite interesting, from Indiana. And they're recording in Nashville or L.A. and that sort of thing. Um, and to make a really long story short, they started asking me for advice on their Kurzweils. And I became sort of the expert on the Kurzweil. And between sounds that I made for it, reverse engineering it, I made extra software. And I became the guy that knew the Kurzweil as well as, or maybe even better than some of the folks even at the factory. And uh, just started really supporting my Kurzweil friends. And next thing you know, they're wanting to buy second and third and fourth Kurzweils. And so I became a dealer to sell Kurzweils. And my business now has changed from being just a recording studio to helping my friends with their equipment. Initially Kurzweils, but before long, they were asking about software. And I said, well, I know how to do that. I'm using music software in my studio. And so I started selling music transcription software, a program called Total Music. And long before there was Digital Performer, there was a product called Professional Composer from Mark of the Unicorn. So I started selling that. And then they wanted recording equipment. So I became a Tascam and Fostex dealer. And you fast forward to today, and, and we've got 480 sales engineers, and we represent probably 50,000, 60,000 different products by over 1,500 manufacturers, 6.5 million customers all around the country, and we're all just taking care of our friends. Wow, that is such an amazing, uh, an amazing story of, of your origin, uh, and so interesting that you did all this from Fort Wayne, not only started there with this VW van, created your, built your own mobile studio, including the crazy headlights and the spray paint uh, color on the outside, and then built your own studio, yep. and then just through your own curiosity and knowledge about the technology and the software, just kept pulling on that thread and built a whole business, but then you stayed there, and now you grew, grew to be this leader in the space. Um, now when you go to NAMM, probably... You probably can't even go to NAM. You're probably too busy to go to NAM. But when you go there, you probably have endless <laughs> meetings and people who want to talk to you. And uh, 
Um, I mean, shoot, just with all the manufacturers you work with, um, <laughs> I'm sure there's tons of people who want to take a meeting with you. Yeah, I love to go to NAMM. I, I'm, I'm a gear junkie as much as anybody. I still play almost every weekend. And uh, so I'm, I'm excited when New Gear comes out. I love going to NAMM. Of course, I have now 41 years of being in business. So I've got lots of friends and relationships. And uh, it is a little hard to walk through the floor. I've got customers tugging at me and vendors tugging at me, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I'm just very thankful and very blessed to be able to be here. That's great. So tell me, as an entrepreneur, what were some pivotal moments in your life that stand out? I mean, you've told us about some kind of in the big picture, but were, are there any other moments that other entrepreneurs who hope to have as much success as you might draw upon to, to kind of look out for those opportunities? Sure. Let me start just even a little bit earlier. What I really think is what set me up uh, was a little bit the way I was, was brought up. My dad was a chemical engineer by day, but he was also an entrepreneur. So I'm sure I saw a lot of that. And he was always very encouraging. My first business at five years old, I was making potholders, putting the little loops in the frame and going around the outside. And I, I grew up actually in Southern Ohio and I made thousands and thousands of potholders and wow. just the work ethic got instilled in me, you know, even at that age. But what really set me up, I think, are Boy Scouts. And Boy Scouts today are not necessarily as popular as they were when I was a young guy. Um, but a Boy Scout learns to always be prepared, to treat people well. And that, of course, is the, is the motto of what we do today is just always treat customers, treat each other even, as we would want to be treated. It's pretty simple, um, but it's maybe not practiced as much as, as I'd like to see it. But the other thing you learn as a Boy Scout is the Boy Scout law. And a Boy Scout learns to be trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, clean, brave, and reverent. Uh, amazing principles to live by personally, but I think they're amazing principles to live by professionally. And I won't repeat them all again. You can easily Google them and find them, but just start right at the beginning, trustworthy. I want to be trustworthy to each other. I want to be trustworthy to our customers and loyal. I can go through the whole list. Those are great principles to run your personal life and your professional life. And that's what we do. I don't make every employee memorize them and know them, but they know where I stand and they know the philosophy of how we want to take care of customers. And so that's the basic thing I would tell you from, from an entrepreneurship point of view is just absolutely always, always, always do the right thing. You never have to compromise. You never have to apologize, that sort of stuff. Nice. I love it. You know, let's, let's bridge that kind of philosophical and values basis to music. Why is music so important to you, Chuck? That's a great question. I'm not sure if I know why it's important to me. I know it is. Uh, and what I tell people all the time, especially folks that aren't in the music business, if you would just think for a second, I mean, I think it's so valuable, so important. It, it's another sense that we don't even think about, but think about watching movies Think about, you know, going on in a big city and if you didn't hear music, you didn't hear sounds, we'd be in a very flat one dimensional world. And I'm thankful that we have music. I'm thankful that music has progressed as it has. And I'm thankful that the tools today make the music accessible to so many more people. And uh, I think now that the business is not in the hands of the big record companies like it used to be, we get the opportunity to see and hear a lot of great music. And maybe sometimes not so good music, but at least we have the choice to hear all of that. And I think it's great. We're living in an unbelievable time today with the tools that are available. There's more great music and more great stories being told than there's ever been in our lifetime or before our lifetime. And I think we're just very fortunate right now. Chuck, I'm really glad you brought that up because one of the things we talk about on Music Tectonics is how the means of production of music is in the hands of the masses. And it's, it's exactly about that accessibility. And, and when you talk about how, you know, there's a shift in who the gatekeepers are in the music industry, um, really what you're talking about is people now have access to do things without, without having to ask permission or to get somebody else's approval. And, uh, 
that's where we're seeing a lot of innovation happen. I'm sure you're seeing it on the technology side, the hardware, gear, and software sides of these things about how all of these companies who are innovating and making new tools keep creating new opportunities for somebody who never got to make music before or somebody who made some music to level up to be able to do more to add the choir or the the orchestra just because they had the right instrument to go with something that was produced a little more simply originally um so i'm really intrigued that you brought that up as well before we move off the business, one thing that really stands out, and you mentioned these guys, you're almost 500, you call them sales engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, anyone who's talked to one knows that something different is happening when you work with one. And I'm, I'm not, this is not a sales pitch. This is an experience as a customer. Um, tell us a little bit how that came to be. What is your sales philosophy? How are your sales engineers prepared to do the work they do? Uh, just fill us in a little bit on the background because I'm sure a lot of our listeners have bought equipment from Sweetwater and they somehow they notice it, they get a call, they get a text from somebody and they're like, this dude's like my friend all of a sudden. And he, I thought I just, I bought, you know, I bought a, a, a little digital recorder from them or, or a mic cable or something or guitar strings. And here, here they are checking up on me. Sure. So it really goes back to my early days when I was talking to my friends with the Kurzweil K250s, or even before that, my friends that were coming into the recording studio. And uh, we just really are thinking about the relationship we have with our end users. My sales engineers, of course, you know, want to sell stuff, but I always tell them I'm not worried about the dollars. Take care of the customer and the dollars will take care of themselves. If you want to get into specifics, almost every one of our sales engineers are technically more trained than I am. They usually have a, a four-year music technology degree or a lot of experience, a lot of performance, you know, whether it's in other studios or on the road and that sort of thing. We go through an amazing interview process. We only hire the best of the best. I believe that everyone in our company is either adding credibility or taking credibility away from our company. And we've worked so hard for our brand that we wanna make sure we have people adding to the credibility. So we do this really thorough interview process. We check references. We check a lot of stuff on the folks. If they pass the muster and they, they are able to get in here, then they go through 13 weeks of what we call Sweetwater University. And Sweetwater University is uh, uh, eight hours a day, taught by uh, about 80 different teachers, 300 different classes. It's almost like getting your doctorate in some ways. A little bit of it is on the products and technology, but most of my folks already have a pretty good handle on that. And, and uh, you know, we'll get them up to speed on any new products or new technologies that come out. But another third of it or so of their time is learning to work our systems. And, and another third is how to develop relationships. And we do things like read the Steve Covey book, Seven Habits, and all kinds of other things to make sure that we're developing a great relationship with the end user. I tell my sales engineers, and I meet with every one of them in the second hour they're here. The first hour they do paperwork. The second hour they meet with Chuck for a couple hours. And we talk about the Boy Scouts. We talk about the philosophies. We talk about always doing the right thing. And I tell them they're empowered to do whatever they need to do to do the right thing for their customers. If that's replace a keyboard, if that's replace an amplifier or a guitar or pay for a, an Uber ride or whatever it is, I want them to run the business as if it's their business. I don't ever want them to have to go, well, I need to check with a manager. You will not hear that out of a Sweetwater sales engineer. It's their business, run it the way they need to. And I will never criticize them if they've made too much money or too little money on a particular sale. I want them to do the right thing for the customer. And I've just figured out the money will follow appropriately. And so we're just not driven 
by the dollars and cents like a lot of businesses are. And uh, they're just great people. And, and I'm thankful that they're such good quality people. And that begets more good quality people. It gets referrals, gets more folks that want to be here. And I'll tell you what, it's a blessing every day. I mean, I'm personally at 63 years old, I'm still as inspired and motivated to be here every day. We have folks with Grammy awards and Dove awards and doctorate degrees and people have owned their own manufacturing firms and rep firms. And they've decided to move to Fort Wayne, Indiana. About 65% of our employees are from around the country. And uh, it's just inspirational to be around such great people every day. And if anyone does pass through Fort Wayne, you can stop in, catch a lunch concert sometimes, and have a great, uh, very healthy, wholesome meal at your little cafeteria there. I've done it. And, it's, and maybe even uh, take, a, take a spin down the slide you have there in the, in the front lobby area. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, we have a great, great cafeteria. I even hate to call it a cafeteria, but we're all about details around here. And so it's completely done in-house. First uh, first quality food you can get and we subsidize it to make it a little bit more affordable and there's music most days of the week in here and, and you talk about that slide that slide's a lot of fun it takes you from the second floor of our building down to the first floor and when I was doing it the architect said oh no we can't do a slide I said oh no I want to do a slide well then you're gonna have to get that approved by your attorney okay so I go to my attorney and my attorney says well everyone's gonna have to sign a release and I said, we're not going to have people sign releases. They have slides in kindergarten and the music business should be fun. And so it's been a lot of fun to watch people come down the slide. My daughter got to go down it before we opened the building. And I was the first to go down it once the building was open. But I've had nuns go down in their habits. The vice president of the United States today has been down our slide because he was the governor of Indiana. I've had several other governors and senators and, and just lots of people going down the slide. It's a lot of fun to watch people. I also remember seeing how much shipping is going on out of that warehouse because you at the time your warehouse has changed since I've been there but there's a giant window where you can see things going on I know they said that you guys were the second largest uh, um, FedEx customer in the state of Indiana and uh, I, I don't know how much you were shipping every day but it was quite a bit of gear. Well, we just opened up our brand new 500,000 square foot distribution center six weeks ago. Of course, the timing's a little strange with the pandemic going on. And uh, because of that, most of our management team, including myself, have been out there packing every day. And interestingly enough, our business is going crazy right now. A lot of our competitors are shut down. In the state of Indiana, our governor said it was okay for distribution centers to be open. And so we're there and we're open and we're shipping orders. And we've been shipping 15 to 20,000 orders every day. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch all that stuff go out the door. Yeah, I mean, I know a lot of the, I mean, pretty much all the brick and mortar stores are closed. And I know Amazon's been emphasizing shipping essential products. But for musicians, guitar strings and patch cables are essential for their work. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty much what you need to get the job done. So if you're teaching, even if you're teaching lessons online or you're doing some kind of live streaming performance or something like that, you still have to get that stuff and you have to get it relatively timely. So it sounds like the impact of, of COVID-19 has actually been uh, net positive in terms of how much stuff people are ordering. You know, I'm embarrassed to even tell people that because I know a lot of companies, a lot of individuals are truly suffering. Um, but I will tell you from, at least from our distribution center's point of view, it's done really well. We're kind of operating on Black Friday, Cyber Monday sort of numbers. Wow. Uh, now, our regular campus is shut down, and, and uh, it's an expensive business because we're doing lots of cleaning, and we have lots of temporary employees and all that, but I am thankful that we're able to ship 
those things that, that to musicians are essential items. And I personally have packed hundreds, if not thousands of guitar strings. And but we're also selling iPads to nursing homes. Yeah, you know, I was going to ask you what you've got kind of a unique perspective since you have people, all types of musical users, musicians, educators, uh, houses of worship, uh, audio engineers, studios. You get an interesting bird's eye view on what the vibe and what the energy is for something like this shelter at home crisis that we have. How are, how are musicians approaching this in terms of how they're making a living right now? Well, making a living is hard. I think they're like most of us. Uh, they're really struggling from that point of view. But I am really, really blown away at the creativity. Uh, the musicians that are now coming on Facebook and YouTube, it's their way uh, to, to display their talent and to give back to their, to their fans and their listeners. Uh, there is more music and more live and it's so personal right now. I, I just love that. Uh, and uh, there is not a shortage of, of new music that's being played on those, those uh, venues or those outlets. And I think uh, that, that'll be one of the brighter things that have come out of this pandemic. And, and I think some of that will continue long after we get back to normal days, whatever normal days are, I think they're going to be a little different going forward, but I think you're going to see more concerts coming from people's living rooms and homes. And uh, it's been fun to watch the collaboration where you see four, six, eight, even a full orchestra. I've seen a couple times now with Zoom and other technologies and tools are able to do performances and inspire and encourage others. And it's, it's a great release for those of us who are stuck at home. Are you seeing any uh, other types of users that, that are kind of kind of have an uptick in, in maybe microphones or cameras or recording equipment? I don't know whether it's in music education or worship musicians. What are you, what are you seeing in some of those other areas? Yeah, definitely a lot of worship, you know, because they're streaming their services and that sort of thing. And a lot of the churches were not streaming before. Some were, but a lot were not. Um, but also with musicians, what I find interesting is musicians that didn't want to go out and play in bars or didn't want to play uh, late hours. That's sort of, they're doing streaming shows at three in the afternoon or six o'clock at night. And uh, I personally have been able to watch a lot of interesting music that I would not have seen before. And I love seeing them in their very personal up close sort of thing. I watched a, a very famous saxophone player yesterday and she's doing it in her living room in her bare feet. I would have not seen Mindy A. Bear in her bare feet before, you know? Yeah, you do get to see a, another level of intimacy. Uh, right. It's a house concert, basically. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> very cool. So I'm curious what areas in music tech intrigue you the most, say, in the next three to five years? Where are you seeing some interesting innovation? Where, where are you hearing about things from your team, whether it be on the recording side, the performance side, the ma music making side, the software? What, what, what do you see emerging that, that has you especially intrigued, um, gets you excited about what's coming down the pike? You know, it's moving so fast. It's all moving so fast. I go back to your comment a little bit earlier. When I started in 1979 as a recording studio, to be a really professional studio, you had a 24-track tape recorder. Those cost thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars. You had a mixing console that was a hundred to two hundred thousand dollars, and you'd buy some expensive microphones. And if you were really fortunate, you'd even have a nice acoustic space design. But it was not. An ex it was a half a million to a million dollars to have anything close to a, to a decent recording studio. You come along to GarageBand. <laughs> It sounds better. It has more tracks. You know, it does literally more than my studio could have done in 1979, 1980, 1980. And it's virtually free. And, and there's similar products, of course, on the Windows devices, too. And that technology is progressing so fast. And all the software tools today to be able to emulate spaces from around the world, to emulate other instruments. And uh, it's putting these tools in the hands of musicians of every caliber from 
total professionals to folks that are just doing it for fun and didn't even know they had necessarily a skill until they start doing it. And so every aspect of it, I think from the accessibility is what just makes it amazing to me. And, uh, you know, as for technology going forward, you know, I, I joke and say when I started, it was reel-to-reel tape recorders, and then it was uh, recorders that were in hard boxes, and then it was things like Pro Tools and Mark Unicorns, Digital Performer on computers, and, and next thing you know, we're recording to, to SD drives and, and that sort of thing, and I assume soon we'll be recording to the end of our ballpoint pen. I don't know what the technology is going to be, but I do know the technologies will be there. They'll get, be getting better. They'll be getting more powerful. They're going to sound better. And they appear to be becoming more and more affordable. And so even people that were not interested before can now play with it or get serious with it. It really is. And, you know, um, we've talked on Music Tectonics with folks about artificial intelligence and how that's being uh, used either to optimize music or the music industry or to actually create music, music composition through AI, which is kind of a controversial um, topic in, in some music circles. But also just the fact that there's so much software now on mobile devices, on phones and on tablets also is kind of interesting. Do you get concerned or think about adapting some of your model as a result of seeing so many additional tools being adapted for devices that people already own, like mobile phones and and tablets? Well, I think even with the mobile devices, yes, we do think about that all the time. But even with those mobile devices, eventually you're going to want better microphones. You're going to want speakers. You're going to want a real keyboard if you're a keyboard player or guitar, that sort of thing. I think of it as it just really opens up the circle or the triangle to even more and more people. Uh, I saw something yesterday, just a really cool product came out of Europe uh, and it's called Skoogs, S-K-O-O-G-S. And it's a little square box about four inch by four inch and plugs, plugs into iOS devices and that sort of thing. And it can analyze the music and figure out what key the music is in. And then you can play on the various sides of the box sounds that are in pitch or in key to the music and it's designed in this particular case for people with special needs and all of a sudden now we've got music instruments that special needs people can play and play along with the music in time and in pitch and just that kind of technology just blows my mind and the stuff that's being created all the time is just getting better and better and better yeah, that sounds like a fun one. There's so many interesting instruments that are coming in in new, new form factors, expressive instruments that allow you to play in a way that you never could, where as before a keyboard feels like you're just pressing these buttons and all of a sudden you're moving your hands or pressing yeah. with texture, all these other things where you're, you're changing out what the keyboard looks and feels like with just a, a, a swipe or, or just lifting something up. So it's, it's interesting to hear that you're, you're seeing those things come, come on your radar too and, and that you have such a positive and hopeful attitude that it's really more of a, a we would say a gateway drug in the music industry to yep. people getting more engaged with uh, more traditional instruments or uh, additional gear and, and things like that so that's cool so a lot of our listeners at music tectonics are, are music tech entrepreneurs themselves any final words of advice you'd like to share with them as we start to wrap up the episode yeah i could i could give lots of advice uh, you know i can tell you in my early days when i talked about a recording studio in fort wayne indiana that was a foreign language and, and the bankers and the attorneys and accountants would look at me cross-eyed, like, why wouldn't you do that in LA or Nashville or New York? That wouldn't work in Fort Wayne. And I am sure when I was looking for those early bank loans or even just the, the vote of support, I got discouraged. And, and uh, as I look back at it today, I go, 
that was probably a little arrogant on my part. They weren't walking in my shoes. They didn't have my dreams. And I'm, I'm not saying my dream was as big as what it's turned out today either. I'm not suggesting that. But, but I had a dream in my mind, in my head, what I wanted to do and why I thought that could be successful in Fort Wayne, Indiana, or anywhere else in the country, frankly. But they weren't walking in my shoes. And it was arrogant on my part to think that they should have had the same thinking that I did. And, and so what I would say to a, an entrepreneur today is those folks are not in your head. They're not in your dreams. And if you believe in something, be all in and go for it and don't get discouraged. Now, I'm not suggesting you don't take advice from others. Of course you do that. But you need to go for what you believe in and be all in. And if you're going to be an entrepreneur, that's a commitment. That's a commitment of not 20 hours or not 30 hours. It's a commitment that you're all in 110%. And I would just encourage folks to not get discouraged by others that don't speak your language. And that's not their fault. They just don't speak your language any more than I speak French today or anything else. And, and uh, I would say go for what you believe in. There's always a way. Failure is not an option. That's, that's my philosophy. There's always a way. You can keep getting better. The Japanese term Kaizen of continual improvement. We're always looking at getting better. And whether that's at a single entrepreneur or at an 1,800-person company, we're always looking at getting better. And that's how you'll improve. And one day you'll turn around and look behind you and you go, wow, look how far I've come. That's awesome, Chuck. Thank you so much for that advice. Thanks for taking the time. It's really great to hear your philosophy and values, how it, it's been with you since the beginning as a kid making potholders, opening up your own VW uh, van, mobile studio, going into the garage and eventually getting to the place where you are and still to carry that generous spirit, that real humane connection with why you started and how you work with your team. It's super awesome. It's a great inspiration. And, you know, me and, and my company, Rock, Paper, Scissors, are based in Bloomington, Indiana. So to see this success come out of Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, mm -hmm. is super inspirational to me personally because I've also had a lot of those conversations where people are like, you're where? Wait, what? I exactly. thought you were in New York. I thought you were in LA. And it's turned out to be great because the quality of life is so so good here. And we've ended up with a great team here as well. So again, Chuck, thanks so much for taking the time. I hope you and your team stay safe through this crazy crisis and appreciate you guys to continue to stay open and serve in the music community. Dimitri, thank you. And what I would say, one final thing to your listeners and, and viewers, feel free to reach out to me. I'm Chuck at Sweetwater.com. Chuck at Sweetwater.com. And I'll respond to every email I get. Have a great day and thanks everybody. Amazing. Thanks, Chuck. That's sweetwater.com is where you can find those instruments, that gear. And thank you so much for listening to the Music Tectonics podcast. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast uh, app and check out musictectonics.com. Sign up for our newsletter to find out about our weekly web stays where we do online meetups with people interested in music technology. And we'll be keeping you posted about our plans for our October conference. Uh, also on musictectonics.com. Thanks for listening. Listening to music, Tim Tommy.